are you? Back to school. In person? In person. How is that going? Um, okay, okay. We're, we're wondering how long it's going to last. Everybody seems really certain that we're going to have another shutdown. And by everybody, I mean everybody except our government. <laughs> yes. Because I teach graduate students. I teach several people who have children under the age of 12 um, who have no alternate forms of caregiving if their child has to go on quarantine. I'm not expecting that my students will be getting COVID-19. I'm expecting that they will be absent because they're taking care of their children. I, I'm disappointed that um, a lot of workplaces aren't don't care, right? That you don't have childcare and that your kid might not, you know, that your kid might not have a place to go. And if your kid doesn't have a place to go, then you don't have, then you can't go to work. Um, that's right. That's exactly right. Oh, I could go on progressive rants all day, but that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> that's not what we're here today to talk but, about. Hey, listeners, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to once again live inside an unknown space right? Things are up in the air. They're out of our control. They're scary in a different way, in a way that's easy to self-invalidate or to externally be invalidated. Your fears are valid. If you're yeah. tired, if you're tired right now, a fucking course you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. okay to be tired. Yes, it is. And it's okay to be angry. I'm mostly just angry <laughs> right and your anger exhausts you it is, it's exhausting mm -hmm. but let's talk about today's episode today's right. episode what is personality that's right what that's is, right what is it? well if we're going to talk about narcissistic abuse narcissism is a form of a personality disorder so let's figure out what we mean when we say personality disorder and the reason I'm going there is because of this. The best way to counteract or avoid narcissistic abuse is to understand what drives it. If you know where it's coming from and what it is that this person is trying to achieve, it's easier to get yourself free of it. And I think you make a really good point. I don't want to like give away all of today's episode, right. but well, I, I want to talk about, cause you mentioned a concept and this is kind of part of that, that personality is unique constellation of experience, right? Yes, that's right. And that's, first of all, what does that mean? Well, remember last season when we talked about your mind being a whirlpool, mm -hmm. the reason your whirlpool is different than my whirlpool is because you process experience in a slightly different way than I do. Mm -hmm. The way you process experience is your personality. Mm -hmm. And so we all have ways of processing experience <laughs> that are different from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in the episode, I'm, I'm going to lay out that there are many people who look at personality, not as these categories of personality disorders, but as these continua of personality patterns that span from healthy to disturbed. 
And this is helpful for somebody who thinks that maybe you have an undiagnosed personality disorder, which if you're considering that and you end up having an undiagnosed personality disorder, congratulations, that's a big step of self-reflection that not a lot of people with a personality disorder are capable of. <laughs> right. Good job. It, that, is a good, that is a good thing to learn. Absolutely. Um, but also if you think that you're on perhaps the receiving end of some narcissistic abuse... This can help you understand what parts of that abuse are abuse and what parts are your personality reacting to abuse. Right. Right. That's a very good point. Um, and then we also talk about, you know, uh, I, I'm really into today's episode. I have a lot of notes I want to talk okay. about. We, okay. we talk about how nobody has a perfectly healthy personality. That's right. That's right. We all occupy a span on that continuum. And when things are going well, we can be really flexible and we can be really open to new experiences and we're not overusing defenses. But when things get tough, then we start to close in. We start to get a little, little more bounded we start to call on some of our defenses maybe in a little bit of an unhealthy way and that's when we start to get into trouble that doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have a personality disorder it means you're a human being who reacts to stress mm -hmm. you know and i definitely am someone who who can experience like i actually don't know the proper way to say this being neurotic feeling neurotic mm -hmm. experience neuroticism what's what is what's the proper terminology there um, I, that's a, they can be neurotic. We'll just say that. Okay. I am somebody who can like be neurotic, right? If I'm mm -hmm. like completely like out of my element, unwound, not taking care of myself, I 100% get neurotic. That is like a thing that I deal with and struggle with and like need to unpack in therapy. Um, but uh, I still consider myself having a pretty healthy personality. You know, I have a solid sense of self capable of functional relationships, mm -hmm. capable of functioning in society, um, and self-sustaining. So uh, today's, today's episode causes me to have a lot of self-reflection. So I invite our audience to also have a lot of self-reflection, but also you're okay. I, and that's the important thing. It has to be safe to, to reflect on yourself and come to the conclusion that, you know what, maybe there's a part of my mind that needs to change. Maybe I would feel better in the universe. It would be easier to be me if part of my mind changed. And that's okay. And if you're not feeling okay, that is also okay. That's okay. You know, a, a narcissistic person, again, and you bring this up in the episode, does feel shame and contempt and envy. One of the hardest responses to narcissism that I see among early career therapists, as well as lay people, is that somebody starts acting in a grandiose way. They start looking for, um, for compliments. And and the other person mistakenly says, oh, they have too big of a head. I'm not going to be manipulated by them into giving them what it is they need. I'm not going to allow that to happen. So I'm not going to tell them, yes, you're wonderful. 
And the fact of the matter is when you withhold that from them, they ratchet it up higher and higher and higher and higher. I often give the analogy. It's like if you have a child who's hungry and they're whining and they're complaining and they're crying and they're acting out, you don't say to them, you're acting too hungry. I won't feed you. Instead, you say, I can see you really need a sandwich. And, and so if you want to get, we'll, we'll learn as we go through this, if you want to get a narcissist off your back, you have to figure out how much you have to give them in order to get them to calm down and back off. And a lot of somebody who is very empathetic can find themselves giving too much, right? There's two ends of that spectrum. There you go. There you go. Um, and there's the trap. You have to find that middle ground. And again, I don't ever want to blame the victim of narcissistic abuse and say, the reason you were abused is because you don't have boundaries and you're too empathetic. And no, 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 no. We're not going there. But what we are saying is that it's easier for a narcissist to take over if you open the door for them, it's like a vampire. They can't come in. They can't cross your threshold unless you invite them. Right. So compliments that you give, those are yours to give. For the reason that you want to give them. Boundaries are hard. Boundaries are both the wall that separates us and the place where we meet. That's a wonderful place to start today's episode, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, here we are. When we talk about narcissistic abuse, we're saying that the abuser is a narcissist, implying perhaps that they have narcissistic personality disorder or NPD. Indeed, some prominent works on the issue designate that this diagnosis is a necessary condition for something to be considered narcissistic abuse. Other theorists think that while the abuser may not strictly meet the diagnostic criteria for NPD, they have some of the features of the disorder. Either way, what we're asserting is that narcissistic abuse is deeper than behavior. It's an expression of the very person who's engaged in the behavior. So what does that mean? What is personality? What drives the abusive behavior? In a later episode, we'll see that there are actually a few personality disorders that might be implicated in this kind of abuse. But for today, we're going to look at personality as a way of understanding what's going on below the surface when one person hurts another in this way. You know by now that I look to psychoanalytic literature to help me understand the human mind. So my view on personality is basically psychoanalytic and is articulated in the Psychodynamic Diagnostic Manual, both the first and second editions. I actually like the first edition a bit more than the second. You may note that psychologists define personality a bit differently than analysts do. I guess that's not a surprise. Personality is an expression of mind. Let's review the concept of mind as we defined it last season. Mind is qualia or experience, what it's like. 
What is it like to have a conversation with a coworker with whom you disagree about something related to your job? That experience is mind. What's it like for an intimate partner to say that they're going to be busy next weekend and can't go with you to your friend's get-together? How we experience these things, our minds, depend on the degree to which we filter such experiences through our past experiences. If you've had the experience of being disappointed because someone important to you routinely ignored what you wanted in order to do what they wanted to do, all of the ways you felt about that, all of the meaning you assigned to it, all of the facets of that complex experience got relegated to the unconscious, or as I like to call it, unwanted experience. Once it's outside of your ability to reflect on it, you get stuck experiencing new situations as if they were another version of the old one. That is, unless you had the opportunity to talk through those feelings and sort them out. Once you've shared, you come to have a new experience. Others can't always go along with your preferred plan, and that can be disappointing, but you can handle the disappointment. Yeah, it's not pleasant, but it won't break you. You can still go to that party and have a lot of fun, and your partner still loves you. If you've never been able to share the complex experience of disappointment with another person, it stays stuck outside of your awareness. It evokes really, really bad feelings that you don't even necessarily know you're having, but they're affecting you. So your partner taking a pass on the party feels like you're getting crushed by an anvil that came flying out of a 10th floor window. Personality is your unique constellation of experience, ways of perceiving and interpreting the world that make you who you are. You're able to reflect on some experiences, others are stuck, and get replayed in a variety of situations. Everybody has a personality. We all have our little peccadilloes, or idiosyncrasies. But we have different degrees of flexibility or rigidity in how we perceive and interpret experiences or in our personalities. We all fall along a stretch of a continuum on this. We're more flexible when things are going well, and we all fall into a more rigid position when we're stressed or things are rough. The question is, is your stretch of the continuum closer to one end or the other? At one end, there's what we call a healthy personality. This is a person who has a high degree of flexibility in how they experience the world. They can adjust to challenges. They can experience a situation as novel. For sure, they have some favorite coping mechanisms They have certain areas where they fall into old patterns. That's what makes them who they are. Way over at the other end is a severe personality disorder. The personality is so rigid that sometimes the way they're experiencing seems like a delusion to the rest of us. They distort the world, perceiving and interpreting experiences as being something other than what the rest of us see. 
That's why the analysts call this end of the spectrum of the personality psychotic. A bit up from healthy is the neurotic personality. When things get tricky, these individuals resort to a more rigid way of experiencing the situation. They have a limited range of defenses and coping strategies that they tend to overapply. This ends up making them feel bad, but feeling bad is usually associated to a relatively well-defined area of life. So like maybe they have a history of relationship problems, but they do well in their career. Maybe jobs are constantly problematic, but they have a successful family life. Up the scale from neurotic is borderline. Now, this does not mean borderline personality disorder. Long before there was something called borderline personality disorder, analysts looked at people's personalities and saw there were some people who could function in reality much of the time, but when they were stressed out, their perceptions and interpretations of the world got so distorted that they seemed to border on psychosis. That's what borderline means on the border between neurotic and psychotic. People who function in the borderline range tend to use or overuse the defenses of splitting and projective identification. Splitting is the tendency to see self and others as all good or all bad. Situations are either fantastic, idyllic, wonderful, or awful, unbearable, intolerable. A person who fits the description of a narcissist tends to see people who feed their needs for admiration as all good and people who do not feed this need as all bad. Projective identification is a very interesting defense that I could talk about all day. It's very important in mind-centered depth approaches to therapy and a key element in narcissistic abuse. It goes like this. A person can't handle a feeling or something about their self, like I can be vindictive when I'm pushed into a corner. They're not aware of the feeling or aspect of the self. They can't reflect on it. They can't own it, but it makes them feel really, really bad. The way they deal with it is this. After spending about 10 minutes with this person, you begin to feel what they can't own. They give it to you. So if they feel inadequate or weak, you're going to feel inadequate or weak when you're with them. Now the question is this. Do you come to have this feeling because they're acting in a way that evokes that experience in you? Or is there some direct mental influence? Most of the more Freudian lineage therapists will say the former. This individual will interact with you in a way that gets you to feel the feeling or experience yourself in some way that reflects their unconscious stuff. There is a Jungian analyst, Angela Connolly, who's written about more primitive forms of projective identification. She stated that there are primitive ways of transferring content from one mind to another with the implication that this transfer is not mediated by any overt form of behavior. 
This observation is supported by some parapsychology research. This includes studies conducted several decades ago by Broad. I'll talk more about this in a later episode. The point here is this. People whose personalities are rigid enough to not be able to reflect on or handle a good bit of difficult experience can get you to experience it instead. People in the borderline range of personality structure use this defense a lot. That is, a person with a more pronounced level of narcissism will do this fairly routinely. Again, we all inhabit a stretch of this continuum and nobody has a perfectly healthy personality. This is what makes us each unique. We all have our own ways of experiencing life. So, we begin to look at someone and ask the question, where are they on this continuum? In order to figure this out, we ask the following questions. Now listen to these. These are at the core of ways we might want to change our minds to function better. These are issues you might want to bring up with your therapist. Can they adjust to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune? In other words, can they bounce back from bad experience? Can they experience a full range of affect without feeling like they're going to fall apart? Can they regulate that affect? This doesn't mean ignore it or repress it. It means deal with it at the right time, at the right place. Can they tolerate a full range of affect in others? Can they see their own needs, desires, goals, motivations, and how these things affect their perspective? Can they see these things in others? Can they use a full range of psychological defenses appropriately, or do they only have to use one or two and use them when they aren't even needed? Can they motivate themselves to do things that they need to do and stop themselves from doing things that aren't a good idea? Do they have a coherent, cohesive sense of morality that includes internal standards and ideals? Can they see themselves as both an individual and as connected? As an individual, do they have a strong, coherent, cohesive, flexible sense of self with agency, appropriate self-esteem, and a complex self-image? Do they have a sense of self that's integrated, meaning all the different parts of themselves hang together and are all there, even if they seem contradictory? So, for example, can I own that I can be a very patient, understanding, compassionate person who's sometimes a vindictive bitch? In Jungian terms, can I bring my shadow self into my self-image? As we discussed last season, from a mind-centered perspective, a healthy person also has a sense of self as connected, such that they can understand and respond to others appropriately. They can discern the effect they have on others and the effect that others have on them. So this is personality, 
It's your unique mind. It's the ways that your mind is individual, even while it's connected. It's the patterned ways that you perceive and interpret experience. Ideally, we're looking for a flexible, coherent, cohesive, complex way of being in the world. We're also looking for those patterns that tend to get repeated over and over, such that they cause problems in living. Psychodynamic therapists often look at six areas to figure out if someone's personality falls into one of the many categories that indicate there may be a need for greater flexibility. These appear in the Psychodynamic Diagnostic Manual. Contributing Constitutional Maturational Patterns. These are patterns of perceiving and interpreting experience that are related either to a physical, biological, or genetic issue, or something that happened in the developmental process that triggered a continuing problem. For example, did the child experience a trauma during a specific developmental moment that derailed development? Central tension or preoccupation. This is an issue that takes up a lot of a person's attention. Is the person constantly seeing situations of examples of a specific thing? A narcissistic person will tend to experience situation in terms of inflation or deflation of their self-esteem. Central affects. These are a person's baseline emotions. A narcissistic person will tend to feel shame, contempt, and envy in a variety of situations, even when you or I might feel like those feelings don't really fit the circumstance. Characteristic pathogenic belief about self. This is the aspect of their self-image that dominates across a wide range of situations. Narcissistic people tend to carry the experience that if their sense of being perfect is challenged, they feel completely awful. It's unbearable. Characteristic pathogenic belief about others. These are the ways an individual tends to see other people. A person who functions on the narcissistic continuum believes that others have riches, beauty, power, and fame. This triggers a feeling of being less than. So that brings the affects of shame and the unbearable feelings that they're not perfect. So they have to somehow undo the good stuff others have. Central ways of defending. These are the defenses that the person tends to rely on, perhaps over-rely on. These are those defenses we learned in Psych 101, things like denial, splitting, reaction formation. There's a whole bunch of them. The ones that people on the narcissistic spectrum tend to experience are idealization and devaluation. We see this in narcissistic abuse as one minute holding you up on a pedestal the next minute treating you like you're less than what they just scraped off the bottom of their shoe. Okay, that's personality. Now, what is narcissistic personality? One point that becomes important here is this. There is such a thing as healthy narcissism. And narcissism as a problematic pattern can be anywhere from relatively neurotic all the way up to almost psychotic. P. 
People whose personalities operate in this pattern can function pretty well in the world or not. You don't have to have a full-blown personality disorder in order to engage in some narcissistic functioning. And you need some healthy narcissism in order to do well in the world. Here's why this is especially important for narcissistic abuse. You can meet someone who seems pretty normal and never suspect that inside there are some things going on that may lead them to mess with your mind. This is important to hear over and over again. You should not have been able to tell that the abuser was in fact an abuser. There are two possibilities. Either they don't know what they're doing and don't really mean to do it, or they're very good at what they're doing and purposely set you up to not be able to see it coming. It's not your fault that you got caught in their net. And remember, a person with narcissistic features can operate just fine in most areas of life, but have difficulty in one. So, for example, a person may be just fine with their friends and coworkers, but fall into a pattern of relating to their children or an intimate partner in a more narcissistic way. When they function just fine in most areas, but not in one, other people may not believe that the person functions narcissistically in that area. It becomes difficult to find people who will believe you that some form of abuse is going on. We've looked at personality in order to understand narcissistic abuse. I did this because narcissism is a personality pattern. I'm not saying the individual has a full-blown personality disorder, but maybe they do. I am saying that there are ways that they experience the world that create problems in living. With narcissistic abuse, the problems tend mostly to be felt not by the individual with the pattern, but by the people around that person. The individual is usually using defenses well enough to be able to stay unaware of their own difficulties. So, a person may have personality features that put them in the category narcissism. We get the personality part. Now we need to dig into what the narcissistic part of this means. That's what we're going to do next time. We will learn what narcissistic abuse actually means what drives it, and then figure out how you can stop it or help your clients stop it, and perhaps more importantly, heal from it. So you talk about healthy narcissism. Yes. Yes, you have to feel good enough about yourself to be able to challenge yourself to do new things that you aren't necessarily good at. Whoa. You have to feel good enough about yourself to put a podcast out in the world. <laughs> Make art. Make art. That's right. Yeah. Um, if any artists are listening to this, um, good for you. <laughs> Not Yay. good for you listening to the podcast, but also, you know, hair flip, healthy narcissism on my point. But like, 
oh man, it's so hard to say, hey, I, I made I made this and it's about some stuff I've been feeling. Look. <laughs> it's hard. Look, isn't it great? Ah, I can never get to the point, look, isn't it great? I just kind of go, look. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Um, so, you know, maybe you need a little healthy dose of narcissism in your life. And, uh, the other really, really cool thing you talk about is regulating affect, which is also something I think that we could do a mindfulness episode about. Yes. Regulating affect is one of the big, big markers of a healthy personality. You know, it, 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 we don't want to say, don't have that feeling, you know, repress it, make it go away. We want to say, no, 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 you need to have that feeling. But you know what? You cannot act that feeling out in the middle of the street in your car right now. <laughs> you, you, you need to say to yourself, I'm feeling some kind of way and I'm going to get myself home safely. And then I'm going to process this in an appropriate way. And that's regulating your affect. I I'm 100% the daughter of a therapist because like one of the first conversations I had with my significant other was we need to talk about learning how to modulate our affect in this relationship. And he was like, those are big words. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't know how to modulate your affect? And he was like, one syllable at a time, please. <laughs> uh, he's, he's great. <laughs> he was okay right. to do it. Get yourself a partner that we'll learn what those words mean um and then i also think it's really cool i really want to unpack what you said about getting that you know the freudians believe that the narcissist is getting you to behave in a way that reflects the narcissist's unconscious but yes. also these primitive ways of transferring content from one mind to the other that's that's provocative isn't it that's, the uh... question is are you acting in a way to get me to be your upsetness or is there something going on here that is mind to mind connection and i you know you can say oh that's that's too sigh for me that's too woo woo for me but like i've been in a room with somebody in a bad mood who has been who who keeps the bad mood relatively contained modulates their affect watches their words and i'm still sitting there in a bad mood and i know that that bad mood did not come from me that's right we're going to get there this season, and I, I know that you're excited about it and you want to get to it, but oh my goodness, last season we talked about how the infant mind develops, and we talked about um, dyadically expanded consciousness, and we said that the connection of my mind with yours helps to expand your mind. And everybody agrees with that and they're they're really good with it but the downside of that the nefarious side of that is if i can expand your mind can i contract it whoa i don't i don't know can you can i stop you from experiencing things the way you experience them and get you to experience them the way I want you to experience them? 
And is that something that you're doing purposefully or is that energy that is just an effect of this whirlpool, right? If our minds are whirlpools and they're energy, you know, where is that energy going? And if and your whirlpool the- is not spinning in a regulated manner, who knows what kind of chaos can be coming That's out right. of it. And we we start to talk about this in the next episode, which is that there are oblivious narcissists and there are malignant narcissists. There are narcissists who do this accidentally. They don't know they're doing it. It's completely outside of their awareness. And there are malevolent narcissists who know exactly what they're doing. And, and we're learning. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it. We talked about, you know, oblivious, malignant but also some healthy narcissism. Safe to say that what we're dealing with here is a spectrum. <laughs> Always. Wow. Always. How about that? Always. Oh, a spectrum. Always. I think that more and more and more in all of the areas related to the mind, we're beginning to see that binaries just don't work. Good stuff. Today was a fun episode. (laughs) Uh, So if you're into today's episode, if you liked it, share it with a friend. Please, please please please. tell a friend. Please tell one friend about our podcast. That would really make our day. And those of you who have, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. It hasn't gone unnoticed. And the people who have invited people to the Facebook group, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining the Facebook group. Thank you for sending us your emails, findingourminds at gmail.com. And uh, thanks, y'all. We'll be back in two weeks. Your host is Dr. Margaret Cadigan, clinical social worker, associate professor at East Carolina University, and published author. Her next book, titled Intuition in Therapy Practice, A Mind-Centered Depth Approach to Healing, is available now in e-form, published by Rutledge, and in hardcover and paperback soon wherever books are sold. Lefay, your producer. You can find me on Instagram at bosswitchlefay, L-E-F-A-Y-E. Associate producer Lindsay Price, technical director David Cadigan, artwork by Ray Gonzalez, and music by